We are continuing our study of the life of David, and we are in 1 Samuel chapter 26. <clears throat> we began to discuss it last week, just the beginning part. We're going to read some verses this morning as we get into it. Uh, and again, we are going to see in this study how David will be in a position where, where he will spare the life of Saul for multiple times now, where, where he could have killed Saul, and yet... God tested him to see how he would act, and he spares the life of Saul. So beginning in verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 26. The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which faces Jeshimon? And by the way, the Ziphites were really great people, weren't they? They couldn't wait to rat David out. And multiple times, multiple times, even though he protected them. He protected them. Uh, and you, you see the spirit of the world, by the way? Do you see the spirit of the world? Uh, and and you know, some of us have, have, have invested our lives with people in the world uh, because we, we, you know, we like them. We think that they lift us up. They say nice things about us. And then you see they, they backstab. They cut. Let me tell you something. The only real friends you're going to have in the world are the friends you have in Jesus Christ. That's it. Remember that. The friends that you have in Jesus Christ who will be with you through thick or thin. Uh, and that's the first lesson that you get here. So Saul went down to the Zep De desert of Ziph with his 3,000 chosen men of Israel. He now will have about five or six times the number of men that David has. Let's understand how outnumbered David is. To search for David. And by the way, again, Saul? Again? I thought you apologized and begged for forgiveness when we last left you off, didn't you? Oh, forgive me, you are my son, I love you. And you see what happens when, when you're not committed to God, when, when you've not given your heart over to God. You see how the, how the heart of man is evil and will go back and again and again. You will make promises that have no, no veracity. And you see that with Saul. You see that with Saul. And so time and time again, even though David is doing nothing to him, he still wants to kill him. Doesn't matter what he says. Doesn't matter about his promises. Um, and Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakalah, faces Jeshimon, but David stayed in the desert. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? Now, let me just stop and talk about the courage that that's at. And you th think about this. They have 3,000 men. He has 600. He's gone out on an expedition to look at Saul. And now he's, he's determined he's going to walk into the camp. He's going to go into this camp. He's going to wait for an opportunity to go into the camp. The courage of David is extraordinary, isn't it? The courage of David is extraordinary. And I believe it's so extraordinary because he constantly communicated with God. He prayed with God. He had the understanding and the knowledge that God was with him, that God would protect him. And even though he's going to make mistakes and we've got more mistakes to go, he understands that, that God is with him. And so he's going to go into the middle of the camp, 3,000 people, and who will go with me? And so as we continue here, verse 6, David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, 
Who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and his soldiers were lying around. Let's understand what this, pi what this picture is. This is a picture where there they are in the camp, and now it's late at night, and they're sleeping. Saul is right there in the middle of the camp, and he's asleep. And the soldiers are asleep. And we're going to learn here that God probably put a deep sleep on them uh, to enable David to walk into the camp without being discovered. Verse 8, Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. Abishai was formerly from New Jersey. I know that. I know some of his relatives uh, because this is exactly how you would act if you were in New Jersey. Let's pin him to the ground. Okay? This is my interpretation of God has delivered you into your, our, our hands. What does this mean? It means a couple of things. The first thing it means is be very careful about who is giving you godly advice. All right? You hear what I just said? Who is giving you godly advice? Is it someone that has spiritual discernment? Is it someone who, who, is, who has a, a, a lifetime of communicating with God and, and reading about God and studying God? Or is it some pal that you have in a diner that you, that you meet once in a while uh, who, who is very free in dispensing advice? Because as we used to say in the practice of law, Advice is only worth what you pay for it. You pay $10, you probably got $10 worth of advice. You hired a competent lawyer who charged you a lot of money, well, you probably got advice that was, that was worth more. And so be very careful. Uh, David, knew, David knew that Saul was the anointed of God. And it's very clear, and we'll read other verses about this, that, that uh, in the uh, Jewish commandments and ordinances, that God told people they had no authority to abuse or attack their leaders. That if, the, if someone was anointed as a leader, that was left to God to take them out. And we see time and time again, that's what happens. God takes out his people. He, doesn't, he takes these people out. He doesn't need you to go and be, and be effectively the hand of God. And so even though this guy's heart is right, uh, recognizing that Saul had been a, a, a thwarting David, uh, for years, years, it's about 15 years that this position goes on until Saul will die, that, that, that God never wanted David, never wanted David to do this. And so this is a test. This is a test for David. Another test. You are going to be my leader. You're going to be the king of my people. How will you act? How will you act when opportunity comes before you? Will you do your own thing or will you do my thing? And that's the, that's the lesson for you, that God puts these kind of tests in your life. He wants to see where you are with your walk. Remember what I've always said to you, Christianity is a walk, not a destination. All right? It's a walk. It's a daily walk with God, sanding you down, testing you, developing you, making you stronger, making you more of an example to the world. And so here was another one of these walks. I will put Saul before you, and you will have a chance to kill him 
Well, and, and as his pal Abishai says, let me, stick, let me stick him right to the ground now, uh, even, even as, as he's here. Uh, and, and I like Abishai because he makes it very clear. He says, I will do it with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. This guy's really committed. I can do it with one shot. But David said to Abishai, verse 9, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? You see that? That was an understanding that that's exactly what God tells us. You can't lay a hand on God's anointed. That's God's position. God put him there. God will take him out. Uh, and, and so David understood that even though Saul was acting way outside the boundaries uh, of what Saul should have done and abandoned his godly call. Verse 10, as surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are, that are near his head and let's go. Uh, and, and I find that to be very interesting. And by the way, that's a citation to Exodus. Turn to Exodus 22, verse 28. <clears throat> Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. That's where this comes from. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. And so God, and that's, that's important. That's important for us. Uh, even today, it's important for us uh, in, in churches, in groups that we're in, to be very careful about how you criticize those people that are in leadership. Be very careful. Be very careful. Uh, I'm not saying that you don't have a right to make judgments, but be very careful when the judgments become what I would call uh, mortal wounding, mortal wounding, uh, and seeking to destroy. I'd be very careful about that because if God puts people uh, in, in before you as leaders, then let God take care of those issues. And so here he is. He takes a spear. He takes a water jug. Uh, and verse 12, so David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head, and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. Amazing, isn't it? They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. You could say that for sure. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on the top of the hill some distance away. So I want you to get a picture of what this is like now. And so there's a hill some distance away, probably not very far. It's not very far because he's going to be able to yell and, and back to the camp and they're going to listen to him. So I think it's probably under a quarter of a mile, probably, uh, maybe even less but with clear sight lines back to the camp. There was a wide space between them. Uh, uh, David called out to the army and to Abner's son of Ur, aren't you going to answer me, Abner? So I guess when he did that, he woke him up. Um, and Abner replied, who are you who calls to the king? Who are you that calls to the king? Uh, and you can read that in two ways. Way number one is, uh, well, who are you? But I think the real thing is, who are you? That's what that's about. Who are you? How dare you calling out to the king? Um, David said, you're a man, aren't you? And who was like you in Israel? He was a great warrior. Why didn't you guard your lord, the king? Someone came to destroy your lord, the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men deserve to die because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? So let's understand what this is about. 
David is indicting Abner and the soldiers that are supporting Saul, saying, what kind of godly men are you? You're not even doing the job that you think you're supposed to be doing. You're not guarding the king. He could have been killed five minutes ago. I have the proof. Where is spear and where is water jug? Uh, and this is important because this begins to lay the testimony back to the army of Saul that maybe we ought to rethink what we're doing. Maybe we ought to rethink who we're, who we're fighting for. And I think God, God wanted that. Uh, and, and David is, is, is doing this to deliver the message. Obviously, he's never going to have a message to deliver a speech to Saul's army. But in this particular instance, he is. And he's also demonstrating the fact that he came right there into the camp and could have destroyed Saul, could have killed him. It demonstrated what kind of heart he had. You understand what kind of a heart I am. I'm a godly man. I could have killed Saul if I wanted to, but my motives are pure. I want to serve God. All right? I don't want, I don't want to destroy uh, the king. I understand what the God's commands are. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is, hey, Saul, you're great. Is that your voice, David, my son? Honestly, honestly, honestly. Are you as sick of seeing that as I am? I mean, you, you just keep reading this and you go, you're a loser. You're a loser. And by the way, let's reflect on this guy. This guy, God appointed this guy king. So he wasn't always a loser. You understand what happens? And the question was, people say to me, well, uh, did Saul lose his salvation? There's a, you know, a theological debate about this. Uh, well, of course, we know you don't, we don't believe you can lose your salvation. Certainly in the New Testament era, we don't believe that with Jesus Christ. But clearly here, Saul has, has fallen far away from God. Far away from God so that he continually lies. He misrepresents. There's no sincerity there. Is that you, David, my son? David replies, yes, it is my lord, the king. And again, look, look at the response. Look at the response of David. Again, honoring Saul as the king. Yes, my lord and king. I want you to say again what an example this is to you uh, in terms of how God wants you to act. God wants us to act continually on the high road. On the high road. Even when we come across people that are on the low road. God wants us on the high road. And so this important lesson for us in, in terms of our day-to-day -day conduct and, and how David handles this. Uh, verse 18, and he added, Why is my Lord pursuing his servant? What have I done and what wrong am I guilty of? And now this is important because these words are being conveyed not just to Saul, but to the entire army, to the commanders. Now they're hearing this. They're hearing this dialogue in which David says, what have I done? Why are you following me? And you would, you, you would begin to have to think that the army itself would recognize, you know, this guy, this guy's being mistreated. He came in here. He could have killed Saul, and he didn't do it. And all of this is in the plan of God because this is shortly going to come to a head. Saul is shortly uh, going to be killed in battle. Uh, and David will come back and take charge of Israel. But all of this is for the plan of God so that God is preparing the army uh, to be in place when David comes back. 
Night verse 19. Now let my now let my Lord the king listen to his servants' words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. Look at how he how he poses this. If I have done something wrong, if God is behind this, and he's actually posing this, if I have somehow violated God's will, uh, let me know because I'm going to do a sacrifice and ask God to forgive me. An amazing man that he would actually have that kind of heart knowing what he's been through. Uh, and, and that's the kind of heart that God wants, wants us to have. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, men have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. And we know that men had done it. He was getting false reports, and he had manufactured these false reports uh, in his own mind. They have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. What did he mean by that? He mean that they had denied him his opportunity to worship his God in his homeland. For 15 years, he could not be with the people that he had been raised with. He was a fugitive. All of this had been taken away by the evil in Saul's heart. You think about what that's like to be a fugitive on the run for 15 years. Ghost uh, says now in verse 20, now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Again, he's saying to him, look, look at the ridiculous aspect of what you're doing. You're pursuing me with five to six times the number of men I am. I have. I'm a flea. It's like an elephant squashing a flea. What are you doing? Have you so lost your mind? Has evil so corrupted you? And I want you to see the, the danger of what happens when we walk away from God. Don't think the things that you see here with Saul are, are, are just a one-time happenstance. That can happen to any of us. We get caught up in our own thoughts and mind. We walk away from the, the directives of God. And the next thing you know, you're doing things that you never thought you would do. You're far away from the counsels of God. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Yes, you have, brother. Yes, you have. Again, is this a real real repentance of course not of course not all right because a real repentance is is accompanied by a change right you want to see real repentance you see real repentance it's not just lord forgive me lord i will change my life i will act in a different way and you see that when, when somebody repents and if somebody repents we accept the forgiveness we forgive let me add that we forgive don't say like I hear some people saying, oh, I forgive, but I don't forget. I don't forget. What kind? That's not forgiveness. That's phony forgiveness. All right? You, you forgive you f and you forget. That's how God wants us to be. You forget. Now then Saul said, I have sinned, verse 21. Come back, David, my son. <laughs> Because you considered my life precious today, I will not try to harm you again. Oh, man. Oh, Saul, have mercy on you. Surely I have acted like a fool and have erred greatly. Now, what's interesting now is there's 3,000 people who are listening to this. And don't you think that was the purpose of God? God wanted these admissions made publicly so that the army would know, oh, look what's going on here. He, he, he's admitting that he's wrong, uh, that he's been a fool, and, and God is preparing it. This is God's methodology of preparing that army 
to follow Saul. If David had gone in and killed Saul, I don't think that that, that army would have been in such a position as they would subsequently to follow David. There might have been a, a revolt in Israel, but instead they hear the admission of the king, uh, and you see that. 22, here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Now there's, there's the message in this case, that the Lord looks at how you live your life, and he looks at the righteousness in your life. And he values your life. And he will reward your life. When you lead a life of righteousness and integrity, God will reward that. He will lift you up. He will affirm you. He will promote you. He will put you in places that you never would expect because you are God's man. Because he knows that where you are, where you walk, the people that you come into contact with will get a proper reflection of what it means to be a Christian man. And that's what God wants. He wants people to understand what does it mean when people are Christians, where they dedicate their life to Jesus Christ. Uh, what, what are the repercussions about that? Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. Wow. <coughs> what a powerful uh, um, image again of David undergoing a test and successfully executing that test. And this is important for you to recognize that God will continually test us. He will continually test us. I don't want you to think that you get to a certain point in time, you know, you're saying to yourself, um, 80 years old, uh, I don't think God will test me anymore. That's not true. God is going to continue to test you until he calls you home because he wants to see you grow. He wants your character to grow. You're never done growing as a Christian. He wants to use you and put you in places that, that you would never ever have the opportunity to do. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2 as we finish that chapter. I have a couple of comments from others' uh, scripture on this issue. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is about Jesus. Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's how God wants you to live. Uh, uh, when people insult you, you don't have to insult them back. Uh, you don't have to retaliate when people hurt you because you are God's man. God is going to protect you. That doesn't mean you're not going to be tested. You will be tested, but you don't have to seek revenge. God will take that, that course of action. This is important for us to know, uh, and it will allow you to lead, lead a purer life as you walk with Christ uh, and understanding this. Look also at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Let's just stop and contemplate that. We rejoice in our sufferings. Now, some of you are saying you'd have to have a lobotomy to rejoice in our sufferings. And so it has to have a deeper meaning than what, than what we commonly see in the world, the rejoicing in the world. Uh, it's, it, I, re, I think a better understanding of that phrase is we have an understanding of our sufferings. Uh, 
And the understanding gives us peace, knowing that even as we go through it, that there is a greater purpose in our life. Uh, And that is something that we need to drill home. God has a greater purpose in your life. And here's the point that I've always tried to convey to you. The difference between us and the world is that we are now members of the kingdom of God. Let's understand that. You are children of God. You are saved. God sees you through the filtering light of Jesus Christ. You are attached to the body of Christ. That means that God has an underlying purpose every single day of your life. Whatever comes into your life, God has purposed. Whether it's an elevating thing or a depressing thing, uh, God is behind your life. Now, if you're in the world and you've not accepted Jesus Christ, what does that mean? It means that you are currently an enemy of God. I can't phrase it any other way, folks. You are an enemy of God. You're outside God's will. You are effectively a revolutionary. You have raised your fist in opposition to God. Now, I know some of you are saying, oh, that seems a bit harsh, John. I mean, I know people that aren't Christians, and they're, they're good people. Well, they're good as you defined good, not as God defines good. When are we going to get over understanding that the words that we use have no relationship to the words that God uses? Your righteousness is like filthy rags. All right, Anything that we define as good, God doesn't look at it that way because there's all kinds of ulterior motives. And so you see this. And so here's the example. So you're in the world. You are an enemy of God. You are a revolutionary against God. You have raised your fist against God. So now you get out of bed in the morning. The things that are going to happen to you are going to happen not because God is behind them, but because Satan is behind it. Who is the prince of this world? You understand? Who is the prince of this world? Satan is the prince of this world. I mean, this isn't so complicated. I mean, when you really reduce it, it means that Satan has control of this world. He has millions upon millions of demons who have left heaven, who have followed him, who are encamped throughout the world in every possible town, every possible government. They sit all over, all over, and, and you now are at their whim when you are uh, not in the kingdom of God. And so bad things happen to people. And I hear people who are Christians come up, not Christians, say to me, well, uh, I believe that uh, all things work out for good. What? What? Where are you getting that from? I, I just believe it. That's, a, that's an old proverb uh, that I believe all things. Bzz, wrong answer. Wrong answer. No, all things don't work out for good. Because you've got to go look to where that verse is, Romans 8, 28. And that verse says, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Then all things work together for good. But they don't work together for good if you're not following God according to his purpose. So you're in a pinball machine. And that's why, you know, we talk to people and we, we try to bring them to Christ. And, you know, they have these awful lives that one thing after the other happens to them. And then you'll say to me, but I know Christians that one thing happens to them after another. And I would say this, yes, but the hand of God is on their life. 
I don't understand it. I can't convey it. I, I know when tr tragedy and loss comes in, I can't articulate it. Why? But I trust in God. I trust in God that God is behind it, that God has a greater purpose, that God is refining and dedicating you and bringing you loss. And that's why we say we also rejoice in our sufferings in verse, uh, verse 3 there in, in Romans chapter 5. Continuing on, the next part of that verse says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. You see what God is trying to do? The first thing he wants to do is he wants to develop perseverance. Perseverance meaning what? You know, the first, the first negative thing that comes into your life, you don't pack up and go home. That's it. I quit. I hate being a Christian. It stinks. I had a lot more fun before when I was not a Christian. I had a lot more fun. I liked the people that I used to hang around with. They were, they were great, especially like 2 o'clock in the morning. They were great, you know. We had a lot of good memories. So, yeah, how'd you feel the next couple? Well, I didn't feel too good after. later, but at the time I felt pretty good. You understand? God wants to produce perseverance in your life, meaning you will face suffering, but when you face the suffering, you will now persevere. You will walk through it because you know that God is behind it. He loves you. He cares for you. Yes, you have bad diagnosis. Yes, you have to go back to the doctor. Yes, you have to get continuing chemotherapy, but I want to assure you, brother, God holds you in the palm of his hand. Nothing, nothing, no sickness, no financial darkness, nothing that you will go through when you have given your heart to God that God will abandon you. He will be with you, and he wants you to persevere because he persevered, and then it continues. Perseverance uh, produces character. Oh, gosh. Jesus wants you to have a godly character. That's what he's doing with you. That's what separates us from the world, the integrity of character. That when you say something, you mean it. When you tell somebody you love them, you mean it. When you say, I'll be there, you will mean it. When you say, I will pray for you, you will pray for them. That it, 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 it impacts every aspect of your life. It impacts your life as a husband, how you treat your wife. It impacts your life as a father, how you treat your children. It impacts your life as a friend because God is producing character in us. Godly character, not character in, in a, that's found in the world. And the only way that God produces character is through suffering. I don't know about you folks, but I can tell you about my life. Uh, I never learned anything in my life from my victories. The only thing I learned from my victories is how to high five. Give me a high five. Let me a high five. You understand? Let's high five it. The victories are good. Oh, yeah. What do the victories mean? Oh, oh I'm smart. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for giving me brains. You know, I mean, I, we might say that, but, you know, think about the victories. You, 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 you event, effectively focus on yourself, right? The victories. But what happens at the dark times, the sufferings, the bad diagnosis, the financial loss, the relationship issue? What happens in those times? All of a sudden, God, what happened? God! Why did you do this to me? Why am I going through this? The introspection where God says, look at yourself. Look in your heart. Look at your life. How are you leading your life? Are you leave, leading your life in the way that I want you to lead your life? Are you leading a just life, a life of integrity? Are you following my word? Are you living just like the people in the world? And how many of us, 
How many of us, for so many years, have called us ourselves Christians and yet lived exactly like people in the world? I plead guilty to that, okay? I'll plead guilty to that myself. Yes, I said I was a Christian, but you want to know something? If you hung around with me, you'd be like those two people that meet in the company cafeteria uh, who've worked together for 10 years, and one will say to the other, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian, and the other will say, you're kidding, I never would have guessed that. Oh, I never would have guessed that. How many people would say that about you? Oh, I never would have guessed that. Really? You see? Is that how you want, is you think that's how, how God wants you to live? That's what this is all about. And so if he's testing you and, 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 and bringing you to focus on your deficits, looking at your life, it's because he wants to produce your character. He wants you to have the character of Jesus Christ. And we've talked about that. This is all tied in together. Where, where when you are saved, and we've talked about it, when you are saved, God gives you the fruit uh, of the Holy Spirit in your life. He puts it into your life. Uh, faith, hope, mercy, justice, peace, patience. All the things that we want to have in our lives that we know that there are deficits in it, God gives you that. He plants the seed. And the problem is that many of us don't water the seed. We don't sit there in a communion relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why this is what God is doing. So if you're wondering why you're going through some of these sufferings and persecutions, like David did for 15 years, it was because God was preparing David to be the king of Israel, to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ, so that people would go back thousands of years later and would look at this man as an example of how to live, as an example of how to live, knowing that he would be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. God is preparing you for something great. I want to say that right now. God is preparing each and every one of you for something great. You're here in this, in this building right now, not because you have nothing else to do, but because God has inspired you through the Holy Spirit that you needed to be here, and you've responded to that call, and God is going to honor that call. I'm going to say it very clearly. God has something great for you in your life. I don't know what it is because it's something different for each and every one of us. But there's some call in your life that's going to impact other people. Some of you are going to wind up being a major influence in your family. Some of you will be a major influence in your church. Some of you will be a major influence in the community. But I assure you that you're here not by accident. You're drawn here. You're drawn here because you know that your spirit is hearing the words that God wants you to hear. And I told you that every time I speak, I'm speaking first to me. I don't ever want you to think I'm picking you out. I'm not picking you out. I'm picking me out. As I say these words, I'm teaching me a lesson. Yes, John, that's why you've suffered. That's why you were persecuted. That's why you went through dark times. It's because God had a greater plan for you in your life than you had for it. What does that mean? It means that you yourself, when you would think of where you're going in your life, you would put yourself here. Oh, yeah, yeah, well, I hope I can retire to Naples. I want to play a lot of golf. Yeah, I want to play a lot of golf. I want to go to a lot of good restaurants. But here's what God's plan is for you. No, I want you to speak about me to hundreds of people. 
I want you to draw hundreds of people to Jesus Christ. I want you to surround yourself by godly men and you affirm them and lift them up. That's the plan of God in your life. I can't say it any other way. That's why you're here. That's why God draws you here, to hear what his plan is for your life. I mean, I really, I really am speaking this morning right now. I didn't prepare these words. I didn't prepare these words. It's like God is, is pouring this into my heart even as I speak and I read this and understanding this issue of suffering. I am very sensitive to what you are suffering. My heart breaks for you when I know the things that you're going through. Uh, and your family, and your children, and, and your, your health issues. I, my heart breaks for you. And if you say to me, John, give me a reason, I, I'd lie if I said I could give you a reason. All right? I'm not God. I am not God. But God has some greater purpose. I have faith in God. That's what faith is about. You understand? Knowing that God has a greater plan in your life than you have for your own life. Really than you have for your own life. And so here it is, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And another word for hope is faith. Another, not just blind hope, but faith, the kind of, the, the kind of faith that says, I know at the end of this journey, I'm gonna see Jesus Christ. I know when I get there, I'm gonna see my family who've also committed their lives to Christ. I know that God will be with me no matter what darkness I go through. I know God will not abandon me. And then verse 5 there says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Oh my gosh, what a great verse is that. Hope does not disappoint us. You will not be disappointed when you pledge yourself to God, when you, when you commit yourself to God, when you understand that persecution and suffering are part of the plan of God as he's lifting you up to be the man you never could be to be the man you never thought you could be, to be the father and the husband you never thought you could be, to be the friend you never thought you could be, to be able to impact the lost world the way you never thought you would be, to be the kind of person who could speak to somebody who needs to hear Jesus and articulate Jesus. I can't do that. Yes, you can. He's preparing you for that day. He's elevating you for that day. You know, I was in, I was in the uh, 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 restaurant at Port Royal uh, a couple days ago, and we always say grace. Here's a simple thing. We always say grace. Now, in the Port Royal restaurant, I would say that that puts us probably in the 3%, 2% minority. All right? Nobody else is saying grace. And we're not saying grace the way my father would say grace when we would go out to a, a restaurant three times a year growing up. It was a diner. We'd go out to a diner for our birthdays, and my father would, would do like a five-minute grace. Did everything but call down the angels from heaven, and I would be covering my eyes. I'm in New Jersey, and 99% of New Jersey's Roman Catholic, and nobody else acts like this. You know, and, and, and so, but no, but you in your own humble way, you say grace. You don't have to make a scene, you just do it. I got up to leave to walk and go see somebody else and a couple at the next table stopped me and said, excuse me, you know, I, I wanted you to know something. We often sit at this table next to you. You don't know us, but uh, we see that you say grace all the time. Really, that's right. You say grace all the time, you see? Uh, and so uh, 
I, I was impressed that somebody would say that, would stop me and, and, and make, that, make that statement. I want to commend you to tell you that's one of the things God expects you to do. God expects you to publicly acknowledge him. All right, don't say, oh, I can't go speaking to people. I, but you can say grace at a restaurant. You can bow your head, right? You can be an emissary for Jesus Christ in a very simple way by saying grace. I hope that each and every one of you do that. I hope you do that. I really do. I hope you do it, that you're never embarrassed, never ashamed of, of doing that. And so you see here, and he talks about it, hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That's what this is all about, understanding what God has given you. And so as you come together and you see this study of David where he could have killed Saul again, he was right there for the taking. When his advisors are saying, let me kill him, this is God's will, and yet he stands tall and he says, it's not God's will. It's not God's will. And that's what God wants you to understand, that you stay close to God so that you know the will of God in your life, that you don't deviate from it, that you don't go off into the briar patches or off into the ditches of life, that you stay on the road and follow him. And when you do that, yes, you are going to have persecution. Yes, you're going to suffer. But God is going to build your character. And your character is going to develop perseverance. And the perseverance is going to be giving you hope. And hope is going to be raising your faith. And faith is going to be the way that God mirrors you to the world and mirrors himself. God's not interested in us just as individuals. He's interested as us as children of the kingdom of God. Let's never understand that. Children of the kingdom of God. You're here because God brought you here. God brought you here. And God is speaking to your heart right now. He's speaking to my heart, even as I say these words. These aren't the words coming from a man. God is merely using my voice to direct the passage of what he wants to hear from us and what he wants to hear from me. And I say right now, Lord, help me. Help me to grow. Help me to be the man you want me to be. Help me to understand your will in life, even when I can't understand it. Do you think I understand every dark thing that comes into my life? Do you think I understood it when I was in New Jersey and I was repudiated in the very church that my family founded 100 years ago, that I'd spent 40 years being the church organist? Do you think I understood it? Yes, God, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. You know, no, I, I sobbed. I went out to the car and sobbed for 30 minutes. It was the darkest day of my life. I would never have a day as dark as that even when my parents passed. It was the single worst day of my life. Everything that I had stood for, that my family had stood for, at the, at the very essence of our life was that church and our work, and now the walls and the ceiling had collapsed on us. You think I understood that that was the reason that God would bring me here? and would make me start a ministry here because the door was closed there? God doesn't give you a, 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 an outline. Here, John, here's what's going to happen. You understand? That's why you got to be very careful when you go into hotel, you know, hospital rooms and somebody is lying in a bed sick. Be very careful about throwing out Romans 8.28. You understand what I'm just saying to you right now? Be very careful. You don't say to somebody in a ditch, all things work together for good, all right? That's not the time to say it. That's a time to pray. 
and to lift them up. Be very careful. But you understand, you prepare. God prepares you for the dark days, for the suffering, for the persecution. He's going to make you a great person. He's going to use you in ways you never knew. David would become the greatest king in the history of Israel because God worked on him for 15 years. Yes, he was a gifted man when he was called, but he came, became even greater because of the 15 years of suffering. And we're going to continue to study this next week. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the lesson that you've given us. I thank you for the example of David. I thank you, Lord, as we begin to understand what you want to do with our lives through persecution and testing. Father, I ask you that we remain open and understanding of that, that you give us wisdom to have discernment. Protect our men, Lord. Help us to consider this message this week and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you.